0: So oh, I'm one of the pastors here. My name Tom. If you haven't met me, I'm sort of new. So I, I pastor along with Wade. Uh, if you have kids um, up through fifth grade, right? Is it through fifth grade? Uh, you can uh, go ahead and dis- we can have them dismissed now. Uh, thank you for waiting. And I want to thank all those who volunteer to talk about Jesus and share the gospel with our children uh, during this time of children's church really grateful to all of you who volunteer to do that and serve the body of Christ that way. Um, Oh, and while they're going, could you guys just stand up and say hello to somebody beside you? Maybe you haven't had a chance to maybe catch your breath. Just say hey to somebody. If you don't know other people, that's fine. You guys are good at that. Well done. Uh, I thought I would have to sort of corral you back, but you guys are very, very sweet. Um, So what I'm going to do this morning is talk a little bit about Advent because this is the first Sunday of Advent, um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means. Maybe, maybe you're very familiar with all of that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're in the middle somewhere. I'm going to talk about it a bit. I'm going to recap a little bit of, because I've been preaching out of Genesis when I've been able to be in the pulpit and grateful for that, so I'm going to just do a very brief recap of that, and then I'm going to have us read the text, which is only three verses this morning, and that's in Genesis 2, so if you have your Bibles or on your phone, you can go ahead and get to Genesis 2, and then we're, as Wade has already mentioned, and we've been singing a bit about also, we're going to just talk about and think about um, the idea that comes to us from the text is on rest and we'll unpack that a little bit and talk about what sort of implications would rest have in the gospel for us today so that's where i'm headed Um, and then we'll have communion and celebrate the sacrament of the lord's supper together so this is the first sunday of advent Um, like many things on the church calendar traditionally and historically Advent, an advent just means arrival, right? So we're preparing for the arrival of Jesus. But traditionally, historically, these types of things like Advent, or maybe you've heard of Lent, um, right? During kind of the 40 days leading up to Easter. Advent is the 40 days leading up to Christmas. And uh, traditionally, historically, what the church tries to do, I think, is follow the life of Jesus, kind of all throughout the year, following his life. And so where we're at right now is sort of at the beginning, right? We're getting ready for the birth of Jesus, his arrival, um, his incarnation into human flesh, the, the son of God being made into a baby and being born in Bethlehem. So... These four Sundays of Advent are simply to prepare us for Sunday, for that Christmas. Actually, Christmas falls on Sunday this year. And so these 40 days, these Sundays leading up to Christmas is to prepare our hearts. I often would say, like during Lent, uh, which leads up to Easter, that I often as a human being will and as a believer will just sort of waltz in on Easter, you know, so excited about his resurrection, having hardly thought about the fact that jesus walked to the cross that he died for our you know i i can just waltz into easter without kind of remembering that he died and so i think christmas can be the same thing we can be so busy and 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 not prepare ourselves for this amazing advent this amazing appearing so that's all that advent is trying to do in the life of church is remind us to prepare ourselves and let me just say this. I, I get that the holidays also, and we'll probably be saying this over the course of Advent and maybe even other holidays that the church in celebrating the life of Christ, the holidays can be a difficult time for people. Um, it's, it can be very joyful, and I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm trying to help us as a church, even in this room, The holidays can be really difficult, whether it's because of family or the lack of family or because of just difficult relationships. There's hurting. There's pain. There's just people are struggling. So even as a church family, let's be reminded that as we're walking towards celebrating the birth of Jesus and it can be, you know, happy songs playing on the radio or in the stores, that there might be people hurting around us also during the holidays. So that's all I want to say about Advent um, this first Sunday. And um, one of the things that I love about preparing for Christmas is I do like the lights. I mean, I I do like, even though I don't spend a lot of time at my own house doing a lot of putting up of lights, I'm not really good at that. I'm not a handy person. If you can hang lights for me, I'd really appreciate that. But lights are a really big part of the, the season because Jesus is the light of the world. That's one of the reasons we put up lights on a tree or lights on our house or have lights in the window. It's because Jesus is the light of the world. And over the course of us looking at Genesis, so now I'm to the recap of preaching out of Genesis uh, several weeks ago or a few weeks ago. I started in Genesis 1. We saw that in the creation narrative in Genesis 1, that God out of nothing created everything that exists, including the light, including the sun, which is the center of all life, all life depends on the sun, revolves around it. It's so massive that we can barely comprehend it. Scientists have spent their lifetime researching it and will continue doing that, uh, mostly because we can't figure out exactly everything about it. And that should remind us, creation, like the sun, should remind us of Christ. The warmth of the sun, uh, the vastness, the complexity, the mystery, the beauty, all of that points us to the center of the universe, who is Christ, the Son. So I talked a little bit about how creation does that in the creation narrative in chapter 1. Uh, the preamble to Genesis, creation, God creating all out of nothing, was that uh, in those first two verses of Genesis 1, God's Spirit hovers over the face of the deep. He hovers over the void. And we talked about how God, God's Spirit, before we were even really a thought, more than more than us being here, the thought of our being here, the thought of God creating us, God was hovering even then. That his presence was a loving, hovering presence even before we were able to show him how great we are, or even before he could even pronounce us as blessed and good. And we talked about how humans were the pinnacle of God's goodness and His creation, and that when you look at other humans in your life, you're being reminded of God's goodness, and it's also other human beings are to point you to Christ in your life. No matter who they are, all human beings. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Weight of Glory, says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal things. But because of Christ, we're immortal. We have been given an everlasting life. So when you look at other human beings, you're looking at not an ordinary human, but those made in the image of God, pointing us to the immortal one who's given us our eternal life, Christ himself. So C.S. Lewis reminds us, That when we look at one another, when we speak with one another, when we judge one another, when we're disrespectful or even harmful, all of this is done even to Christ. And Jesus reminds us of that in Matthew 25, that when we've done to the least of these, we've done to him. So just reminding us that all of creation, including the pinnacle, human beings, are to point us back to Christ, to him. Oh, and by the way, I've been saying... ...throughout this Genesis, the few weeks that i preached out Genesis, that if you really want to hear or read something really good about Genesis, Jack Collins has a brand new, pretty new book out. It's called Reading Genesis Well. Uh, I meant to bring my copy. Sorry. It's blue. Um, If you'd like to borrow my copy, I've read it. I'm happy to pass it on to you. I do have it. I think it's in the car. Um, Apologies for that. But Jack Collins, he's pastor, scholar. Most of what he says about how you read Genesis well um, will point you back to Jesus and the gospel. And he does it so well from an academic standpoint, pastorally, scientifically. He graduated from MIT. He was a linguist. Amazing stuff. But I mean... Jack Collins should be up here preaching out of Genesis. He's really got good things to say. So our text this morning, I'm done with the recap, is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you would stand again for the reading of God's word, just get the blood flowing again. Um, This is God's most holy and infallible word. Genesis 2, starting at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, would you, by your word and spirit, transform our lives that we would be more like Christ? We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you very much. So uh, as Wade already pointed out, yes, um, during the busiest time of year for all of us, it's no accident that we are looking at these verses today about God resting, spending a few moments talking about rest. I could not have planned this. Uh, I'm not really great at planning as far as sermon series. Um, I'm just not that great at that. And so... Often that's why I like preaching through like either a book of the Bible, or because I can't plan series very well, so if, if the text just tells me what I'm supposed to talk about next, that's really helpful to me. So I get to these verses, I'm like, oh, it's about rest, right after Thanksgiving, right after the probably one of the busiest weeks of your year, maybe, for some of you, um, here we are talking about rest. The topic was chosen in God's providence, as we were learning from the Heidelberg Catechism this morning. God's creation from Genesis and his providence has brought us to thinking about rest. The Sabbath, what God does in Genesis 2. So Genesis 2, 1 through 3 describes the creative, out-of-nothing work of God as being finished. God saw all that he had, had made, he blessed it, and he said, this seventh day is now set apart wholly for resting from all creative endeavors. In our modern world today, God's stopping after such a grand start. You know, he created everything out of nothing, including human beings. And he said all of it was very good. And then he said, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to cease and desist. I'm going to halt all of it. In a modern world, it would be akin to God giving up right before he got famous. Like, you're just, you're just on the verge. I mean, things are about to happen for you, God, and now you're resting. It's like right before he, like in a modern world, think about it. Like, the creative endeavor. Like, you get to this amazing point where you've done all these amazing things. It's so innovative. And then you're like right, right on that point of being an influencer, really. And God's like, you know... I'm I'm done. I'm going to stop. God halted. He ceased and desisted from all his creative powering around, all his maneuvering, his managing, all his active, hovering, the creative innovation, the planning, the thinking, the producing, the designating, the pointing, the clicking, the scrolling, the mapping out. It all... I think I'm starting to get into my stuff and not really what God's stuff. But all the running around, the mock 10 with my hair on fire, the binge watching, the scheming, the serving, the ministering. Again, I'm thinking about my own stuff. All of that for God in this moment in Scripture, he stopped. He stopped all of it in himself, in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it it stopped. So we're going to spend a few moments thinking about what it looks like to stop, what it looks like to rest, what it looks like as believers. So I just have a few thoughts about it, and going to look at how the gospel might impact resting for us today, and then we'll have communion. So y'all remember COVID, right? First, I always have to make disclaimers, because what I'm about to say, um, I realize that COVID's a bad thing, um, and I'm not making light of it. I know that there, be, there are members of our church who've already had, they've had COVID in the, in the past few weeks. So I'm not making light of it. I realize that it's a horrible thing that remains a blight on the world. That people have lost loved ones. That people are still coming down with it, as I said. I get it. I know that. All of that. But for a moment, because of COVID, the world stopped back in 2020. The world was mandated to sort of stop you remember right to halt to cease and desist and i get it that for some of us some of some of you are already pushing back on me like tom i have kids the world didn't stop just because there was lockdown i was homeschooling my kids i ha-. if you're in a job where you had to figure out how to do your job from home with zoom like none of us knew anything about some of you're like i knew all about i didn't know anything about that like you know all of that stuff some of you're like i was really busy tom my life didn't stop but still, the world was sort of mandated to stop. I mean, my only point is that for a moment in modern history, the world, the earth that God created, almost seemed to stop revolving for a moment. I remember walking outside where I lived. I lived in St. Andrews, Scotland at the time, and, and a terrible place to be. I mean, it was beautiful. But I remember walking out kind of the first week of lockdown as the way, did y'all call it that here? You know, this lockdown and I felt like I was the only person on the planet for a moment as I just, everything seemed so still in a way that it hadn't before. It was dead silent. I never heard it that way. Things are always, there are always buses going. There are always things bustling around. There's always something happening. And just for that moment, uh, even during COVID for me, uh, when it hit I had just posted on my Instagram that I'd spent 60 consecutive days in the library because I was getting my PhD at the time, and I was like, I spent 60 days. And like the next week, COVID happened and the library shut down. You know, I couldn't. I'm not gonna be able to hit my 61. You know, I terrible perspective on COVID. Um, But I wonder if post COVID, so here's what I came to say about COVID, right? Okay, so come back to me if you're like, I lost you. I wonder post-COVID, and I know you're like, we're not really post-COVID, but from some of the lockdown, I mean, we're sitting here right now today, so we are kind of post-COVID, but I wonder if we're afraid that any sort of rest feels like sickness or going backwards, maybe, that it's weird, so weird what's happened, because now some people don't want to work or go into work or go to church or do anything um, in any kind of extreme That we overload ourselves because we feel like COVID took so much away from us that we're afraid to think of resting because it feels like going backwards. I mean, think about it for me, with me for a moment. People have become even worse, uh, workaholics, alcoholics maybe, perhaps. It feels like we're trying to make up for our unproductivity that happened during COVID. Maybe. It's just a thought I had. We're so desperate to feel productive again. And maybe even here at IGC, because of what's happened even in the last year in our history, we feel like we have to keep working so much to be productive. We have to look like we're moving forward. And I agree. We should. We want to. But for me, there's this sense that it's scary to think of stopping or resting because it feels like going backwards. It feels like not going to the library. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what I was supposed to be doing. So I I do CrossFit. Um, I don't look like I do CrossFit, but I do CrossFit since 2017. And uh, I also worked for FedEx for a good season of time, several months. And I can remember... Not very long ago that I would wake up every day feeling sore, like just some part of me didn't feel right. And some of you are thinking, well, you're just old and I get that also. I'm I'm old and I But then I had some surgeries. I've talked to you guys. I had my nose something, and I had LASIK, and I actually had to stop. I had to like lie in bed, I had to sit in bed, I had to sort of not do CrossFit. I couldn't. There were things I couldn't do. And so for a few weeks, I was mandated, kind of, you know, locked down. I had to do that. And so a few weeks ago, I was talking with a friend at the gym and he was like, Tom, every day I move, I feel sore and everything on me aches. And I said to him, it's like, have you rested? Have you taken some time to just do nothing? He's like, no, no. Why would I do that? I'm like, Nothing on me is hurting right now. And even as I stand before you today, nothing is hurting. Like I can tell you. And that's because I rested. Physically, literally, I had to stay in bed and rest. And that's just what my body needed. So, look, let me just make this quick aside. Some of us need to hear not from this text that you need to stop moving, but some of you actually maybe need to move. I mean, there's always that. And I don't know, maybe there's some of you that you've rested enough and now it's time for you to take a step or two. So maybe God is encouraging you that you have rested good and now it's time to take a few steps. I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit needs you to hear today. So looking at this text in Genesis 2, one biblical scholar underscores Sabbath rest was not actually for God's people instituted here. In Genesis 2. It wasn't... like Well, that's where a lot of people say it is. Sure. God says he rested and he made that day, this holy day, at the end of all that he had done. But this scholar says that really God instituted rest for God's people after the exodus from Egypt. So when God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt... Right after they'd been slaves for over 400 years, they were delivered by God through the Passover, going through the Red Sea on dry land. God mandated this rest. That was when rest was mandated for God, or set aside for God's people. He delivered them and said, now I want you to rest from your slavery. So let's stay on this thought for a second. Stay on the thought for a second. We rest because... We're God's people. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here at Indelible Grace Church this morning, you're a believer in Jesus and what he's done for you. You're part of being God's people. And you are no longer considered a slave. And you're like, yeah, I know. Problem is, because God's instituted a Sabbath rest for God's people after they were delivered from slavery, maybe it can be lost on us. Because, But here's this, I often feel enslaved in my life, by culture. I feel enslaved a lot by my past, by my future, by my average IQ, by paying bills. I feel enslaved by my bills, my family responsibilities. Other people's sinfulness make me feel very enslaved sometimes. Meeting all the demands of modern culture, modern church life, other people's expectations of me. These are the modern sorts of slaveries in a developed world, aren't they? Did I hit a couple for you? That, like, we're, in, we're an enslaved people in so many ways. And yet, as God's people, we have been delivered. And we've been told, we've been delivered, and so we can rest even from our developed world modern slaveries. I don't really know what to do about all this modern world slavery kind of stuff because I know we don't like to use that sort of language about it, but you know, there are things you're going to do today because you have to, you're not free. You have to do certain things. And some of those things are right and good that you are harnessed to those things, those people. So in the final moments today, so just think about that. But in these final moments, um, I want to make a statement. And then I want to talk about some possible implications of that statement. Okay, so I'm going to make a statement. You can think about it. Maybe you can go to your happy place and you don't even have to listen to what I say about it. But I'm going to make a statement. I want you to think about it. I'm going to give you a few implications of this statement. Are you ready for the statement? The statement is this. The gospel of what Christ has done for his people means a lot of resting. I'll repeat it. The gospel of what Christ has done for you, for me, as his people, means a lot of resting. So you think about that yourself. Some of the implications. So for me, immediately, when I think about something like that, that the gospel means rest, I go to Matthew 11. That's the first place for me that I went. In Matthew 11, maybe this verse or part of this text is imprinted on your kitchen wall or some of your children, you know, that it's a really important verse. In Matthew 11, all things, just Jesus talking, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says, and no one knows me, the Son, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except me, Jesus says, the Son, and anyone to whom I choose to reveal him. Then in verse 28 of Matthew 11, this is the verse you should know as... as maybe doing your Bible uh, memory verses, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the new gospel slave language of the Bible. We are now yoked up, enslaved, if you will, with Christ. Christ with him we're yoked up with Jesus you know like oxen you know we we're, we're not agrarian people but being yoked up with him and yet Jesus isn't asking us to go build the pyramids or to build our careers or a better church or 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 whatever he's not asking us to go do anything in Matthew 11 he's saying yoke up with me and find rest for your souls and in the context of Matthew 11 We don't have to keep working to actually save ourselves, is what Jesus is saying. You can yoke up with me and you don't have to atone for your own sin. You don't have to work so hard to to show me how great you are, Jesus says. You can just yoke up with me and be in me and find rest for your soul. It's, I mean, in Matthew 11, it's rest from having to keep the law as a means to save yourself. We're not enslaved to the law. As believers, you're not enslaved to the law. It's a gift now as believers, yoked up with Christ and his goodness. So the gospel of what Christ has done means that we can rest from trying to save ourselves. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the children of God, the righteousness of God. With only the work of God in Christ, we are righteous, you and I are righteous, and we are enough. No more trying to save ourselves. Okay, so the gospel means you can rest from all that atoning that you're trying to do. You're like, but Tom, as a believer, I want to I serve him. Yes, but... How about take a moment this week and think about, am I doing things for God as a way to atone for my life in some way, to atone for those sins that I commit? You cannot atone for your own sin. In fact, all the work that you would do for the church or for God will never be enough to atone for your sin. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I might be the righteousness of God. You can You can rest. In fact, if you think about your life and like, yeah, I'm trying to atone for my own stuff. How about a rest? Take a rest. Take a break from that. Because Christ has already done that for you. The gospel of what Christ has done means that we can, so I'm just giving one other thought. The gospel of what Christ has done for us means that we can, we can rest from thinking that we're the only reason that something is happening or still going. Let me repeat that. The gospel that Christ has done means that you can rest from thinking that you're the only reason something is still happening or going or spinning. Maybe you sometimes think you're the only reason your world is still spinning. And that's just not true. The truth is, God is the reason all the worlds are spinning. Remember, he created all of it. He put the moon in place so that the world tilts correctly. He put the stars in place. Everything is in place just so. Gravity, all of it. Every bit of your personal world, the world, all the worlds are spinning. Not because of you or me. And this is a blow to me. Like, this feels like, really? Really? It's because of the Lord God. Christ is holding all things together by the word of his power. You can rest. Like, but Tom, if I don't do X, Y, or Z, it will fall apart. Maybe it will. Because that's maybe what God wants. Maybe God wants that thing to fall apart. Or maybe God wants someone else to do that because they need to take their one or two steps because they've rested too much. I mean, I don't know. You think about that for yourself. I have to think about that for me. I have to... I have to rest, because of the gospel, of feeling inadequate, of feeling shame, of thinking more of of myself than I ought, or thinking less of myself than I should. Sabbath rest in the gospel means that we can start thinking properly about ourselves, about all the things going in our lives. Some of you are like, Tom, you try resting with kids. I mean, I've watched many of you today. And I know it's a struggle. I mean, not watching you. That's not a struggle. It's it's a struggle just getting to church on a Sunday because there's so much not resting that happens. There's so much. Maybe, maybe the Lord would have us all hear that he rested, that he wants rest for his people in Christ and that perhaps resting from the notion That even our parenting is utterly up to us. It isn't utterly up to us. How your kids turn out is not utterly up to you and to me. Rest for God's people, as Wade was reminding us in the call to worship in Hebrew 4. The rest that Christ, as our King, offers us today, He will rule us with goodness, kindness, providing for our needs, protecting us. He's the King. Allowing us to feast at his table as we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. We're heirs with him, sons and daughters of the king. Sons and daughters of the king. Isn't sons and daughters of the king rest. You know, princes and princesses they're usually hanging out in their room looking for an opportunity to go complain to their king and queen mom, right? And mom and dad. Like they're they are resting. They're resting because there is already a king on the throne. The rest that Christ as the high priest, and this is all from Hebrews, Hebrews 4 that we were called to worship with. The rest that Christ the high priest offers is that he absolves us of all of our sin. All of it was laid on him. The highest priest of all says, You are forgiven forever and ever. Amen. The high priest, Christ, has bled. He's made all the sacrifice at the altar of God. And now we can rest from our striving. The rest that the prophet Christ offers us is that he whispers love, tenderness, and peace over us. He whispers the truth about who you are. You are more than a parent. You are more than a wife or husband. You are more than a pastor. You are more than all those things. You can rest from all those roles because you are a beloved son and daughter of the king, the high priest of the prophet, the prophet, the only prophet that matters, who says and whispers, shh, you're loved. All is well. So what I wanted to do in the closing is I wanted Wade to come up and I wanted him to do a trust fall with me. <laughs> and, and then I rethought that. Because, you know, if I dropped him, he's got responsibilities and stuff he's got to do. Um, y'all, we as a church, we as people, we need to trust fall into Jesus Christ. I don't know what that looks like exactly because I'm afraid to do it. I mean, you know, I can say, yeah, I trust fall into Jesus. Yes. But what does that look like in your life? I don't know. But even indelible grace church, we have to just trust fall into Christ. He is the head of this church. He's the head and he's the one that we can fall into his arms. He'll carry us into the future exactly the way we're supposed to be. I think part of trust falling is sort of believing that we, when we take a wafer out of here and we drink the juice that's in this cup, that it's, it's sort of a trust fall to, to think about. This is for us symbolizing what Christ has done for us, that Christ fell, right? We can trust fall into Christ because he's already fallen for us in his body, giving his blood for us. I mean, believing in the sacraments is sort of a trust fall for us. It's a, it's an opportunity to trust fall, believing that what Christ has done is true. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to say the words of institution that Christ set up for this sacrament. And let me just say this: if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't truly trust, as believers, we got to keep trust falling into Jesus constantly because we, you know, we get up and do our thing and think. You know, we'll come back to you, Jesus. But if you haven't once and for all fallen into the arms of Christ as Savior, as one who's atoned for your sin, this sort of sacrament, this sacrament is is not sort of, it's meant for those who have done that, who have given um, all faith into what Christ has done, that you you can't atone for yourself. They're trusting him. That's what this meal, that's who this meal is for. It's for those. If you haven't done that, please, please run to him. But the supper is for those who, who have trusted, who are resting. There it is, resting in him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity just in these moments at church to rest, to sit. Thank you for these chairs. Thank you for those who set them up. Lord, thank you for the privilege of church, even in this local body of believers that we can sit and rest in you Jesus would you take these these simple elements that we have and allow us to sort of trust fall into you Jesus in a way that maybe we haven't done before or to rethink how it looks to rest in you would you do that as we come in faith to this wafer this juice trusting that you will by your spirit apply it to our hearts and lives through the gospel we pray in Jesus name amen